what happens when a black guy, a white dude, and an Hispanic man happen to be pro wrestling marks? You get debates, roasting, and fun in Jeet Nation's newest podcast, Breaking Ring Rust. And it starts right now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, marks of all ages. This is yet another episode of Jeek Nation's Breaking Ring Rust Podcast. I'm your host, Rocket Mr. Magic, joined by our recurring and soon probably, depending upon situation, full-time cast member, the franchise, Matt Privet. How you doing, man? Doing great, doing great. For those who are worried about where the cold heart JT is, he unfortunately had to tap out. Uh, if you recall, he is still recovering from the effects of that surgery he had a few, uh, roughly six weeks ago. Um, so continue to pray for recovery for JT. But we're actually going to focus on one major topic tonight, and it is not related to the WWE, really. And that is AEW, double or nothing. Double or Nothing premiered on Saturday, debuted first pay-per-view for the brand new AEW wrestling promotion, headed by Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, uh, and Tony Khan. AEW made a splash this weekend, wouldn't you say? Uh, I would say it definitely made a splash, and uh, it will be very interesting to see what kind of splash it continues to make over the course of time. Indeed. So what we're going to do tonight, folks, is we are going to go over the double or nothing pay-per-view, share our thoughts on the matches, on the results, and go into some more updates over the past few days since double or nothing happened. So to start, Double or Nothing had a pre-show that was free for everyone to watch. They were streaming it live on YouTube. And that first ever AEW match was a casino battle royal. And the winner would earn a world title shot, um, which is called the buy-in. And the winner would be facing the winner of the main event, which between Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. So we had a lot of wrestlers in this match. And if you are not a, an indie wrestling fan, some of these names you're not going to know. So we're not going to list all of them. But we will list are some of the more notable names that were in this match. Uh, elite member, if you're a Ring of Honor New Japan fan, uh, Adam Page, a.k.a. Hangman Page. Tommy Dreamer was also in this match. Uh, Sean Spears, formerly known as Ty Dillinger in the WWE. Uh, WWE Hall of Famer, Billy Gunn. Uh, WCW vet, Glacier. Uh, Brian Pillman Jr. Jungle Boy, who is the son of the late actor Luke Perry. Uh, MJF, who is an uh, up-and-coming indie wrestler. And uh, I'm trying to think anybody else notable. Uh, Joey Janela, 
who most a lot of fans know of, as well as uh, the UK's Jimmy Havoc. So you get a lot of other people in this match because match had I can't even count how many people were in it, but uh, those are some of the notable names. So <clears throat> as we as this match goes off, unlike the typical uh, battle royals, and you see the WWE where everyone comes to the ring together and starts in the ring together. Uh, all AEW kind of mixed the Battle Royale and the Royal Rumble by pretty much releasing groups at a time. So you had a starting group, after time ran down, another group of, uh, after I lost count, and let's say five or six would come into the ring, time goes, another group, another group, uh, which kept things actually moving pretty fluidly, I'd have to say, for a Battle Royale. I, I, uh, I, I liked the concept. Uh, they really played on the the whole card game casino angle. You had you know people coming in as uh, like hearts and spades and diamonds and all that stuff. Yes. I will say I did not see the beginning of this. <clears throat> I had ordered this on Directv, um, but I saw that the uh, buy-in was running on YouTube, and uh, I was going to watch it there first and do some other things. But I will say the YouTube uh, aid was not streaming. I don't know if it ever popped up on the AEW, but uh, it was not a good look at first because the YouTube on the uh, AEW channel on mm-hmm. the, was not streaming, and you had quite a few comments about that uh, being oh, no. pretty crummy. But I just turned on DirecTV, and, and, and it was there. and uh, So I, I probably called it uh, – after the first, after the second five entered, I guess, about okay. seven or eight minutes into it. Um, I was not overwhelmed by most of the combatants I saw. I will say that. I, I, I do not get a chance to follow independent wrestling as much as some others. Uh, I, I will say that the people who stood out to me were MJF. I think he's got a little bit of potential as a personality. And I actually kind of dug the Luchasaurus. <laughs> he was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, um, Luchasaurus is pretty cool. He's a big dude. Yeah, and uh, he can move around. He looks kind of natural the way he moves, and uh, you know that, that stood out to me. Uh, most of it, though, I could have done without. Uh, there was a lot of lying around at, w- at one point, and I was just like, something's something needs to happen. But uh, yeah, I guess the- it it accomplished its purpose with uh, Adam Neville or Pack or whatever he's called now uh backing out of his match with hangman page it kind of made sense for him to be the you know the 21st guy i think it was and yes as well as uh hangman has been dealing with a knee injury so um it's quite convenient that he was the last entrant uh into the match um for somehow i mean even though he was the last entrant he came in there uh threw a whole bunch of haymakers, got knocked down, and then had a beautiful kip-up. So I'm like, how hurt is that knee? Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't know if that was a worked injury or uh, or if it was something legitimate. If it was worked, uh, I applaud him for selling it, coming down to the ring. You just don't see that very much anymore. But uh, he, yeah, he continued to sell it throughout the, the night. So as uh, the franchise pretty much stated, there were some, some really good spots. Uh, there was some pretty – terrible spots and yeah. some some in between uh, we're not again we're not going to go through the entire match because it, it's long um some of the things that stood out to me uh great comedy spots uh, primarily with uh, i forget his name 
um, which is terrible because I had watched uh, a recap. But there is a a wrestler. His 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 character is pretty much just he's he's cool. He's so cool. He he goes through life with minimal effort. Um, and he's Orange Cassidy. Yes, Orange Cassidy. And Orange Cassidy had a great you know uh, spot with Tommy Dreamer doing his his cool kicks and uh, had a beautiful kip up where Tommy Dreamer puts him down, takes a flat back bump, legs up, hands in his pocket, kips up, hands still in his pocket. Just stand there, just just smooth. Orange Cassie just so and he's 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 so fun to watch. He's got he just he sells that cool gimmick so great. Um, I made a comment while uh, live streaming the show on Saturday where Sean Spears again, aka Ty Dillinger, involved in the match and he was eliminated by a certain wrestler, Dustin Thomas. If you've never heard of Dustin Thomas, he is a bilateral amputee. Um, so if you can imagine, yes, this man has no legs. Um, so Ty Gillinger was eliminated from a match, a battle royal by a man with no legs. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, maybe a comedy spot, but I totally did not like that at all. Um, I, and this to me, one. Dillinger left WWE because he didn't feel like he was being used properly. He felt he wasn't being respected. So he goes to a company that has him get eliminated on their inaugural show, on their inaugural match, right? and get eliminated by a man with no legs. So yeah. how much should they respect you? And then two, AEW, what are you thinking? You have a wrestler who just left the WWE, a guy who still has some name power, and you put you put him in this situation where a dude with no legs is eliminating him, like way, way to damage a name. You have a whole roster with a, that doesn't have a lot of main name recognition. He's one of the few guys that has it. And then you job him out like that. Even more so than the name recognition. I, I just did not like the battle Royal overall. I thought that it was comical or an attempt at comedy. I didn't really even like the Orange Cassidy thing as much as you did, but I, I thought that to in their first match, if they wanted to set themselves apart from the kind of goofiness that we see so much in WWE, which we'll talk about more in a little bit, um, this was not the way to do it. And it, it would get, things would get better as the night went on, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, I was already, I was, I was, I was on the fence all day about whether or not to order this thing. And I went ahead and did the whole impulse buy. And this had me regretting it. Uh, I did not regret it by the end of the night, thankfully. But I was not optimistic about the night after watching this this battle royal. I hear you on that. The only reason why I don't mind the comedy stuff is because this was a part of the pre-show. If this was a part of the main show, like I'm okay with you doing the goofy stuff, funny stuff, because that's always going to be a part of wrestling, and especially in the indie scene. And I mean, this is this is a an indie promotion that's just right now. It's an indie promotion. It'll probably grow into a bigger, a more serious promotion. But right now, AEW is a indie promotion. Um, well, it's just not the way I would have started things. If it, I I agree. It's not, yeah. it's not the. The, it's not the, it's not the first the face. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't you want your first impression to be a little bit better than that. I completely right. concur. Um you made great comments about MJF. I think MJF definitely has a future uh, as a as a heel. Um he definitely can 
get people to react to him. Uh, he dresses a little too much like the Miz. Um, and since he kind of looks like him, that's probably not the best thing for him right, right. now. But yeah, I would agree with that. But you know, but his 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 heel work was the highlight of the match to me. Hangman Page ends up winning uh, with uh, his buckshot lariat eliminating uh, MJF after MJF thought he eliminated Page. So Adam Page wins the first ever match in AEW, earning himself a title shot versus the winner of Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. Yeah. Uh, so then next you have, again, this is still um, on the, I think this match is also still in the pre-show. Uh, first singles match, Kip Sabian uh, from the UK, if you're not familiar with his name, uh, against Sammy Guevara, who is a Texas native. Uh, this was a, this was an all right match. Um, I've seen Sammy Guevara work before. Um, he's, he's a really, really good athlete. And uh, probably the best thing was Guevara did a uh, running shooting star press off the ring apron as Sammy was draped over the ringside barrier. Absolutely fantastic spot. It was um, crazy. Yeah. Both guys worked well together. Uh, in my opinion, the wrong guy went over <laughs> because Guevara looked a lot better um, to me than Sabian did. But uh, an enjoyable match, not great, um, not bad, just right in there at like a, like a C level. Yeah, it was. I mean, for a pre-show match, it was all right. Um, I've, I've never seen either guy, so it was my introduction to both of them. I would agree with you that Guevara looked better, uh, but I don't really have an opinion on who should have gone over. Um, but yeah, that that uh, that shooting star press off the apron was uh, yeah, that was, that, was, yeah. <laughs> that was something else. Man. I was like, oh, oh, he did, he did just do that. Yeah, um, I, to me, when you're when you're doing a match like this, especially when you realize this is the first time I'll, probably eighty five percent of the people buying this pay per view or watching this pre show have ever seen any of these guys. To me, this is one of those ones where you call it during the match. You you signal into the refs to tell the wrestlers who's going over. Right. Let the crowd determine who's by reaction, by you know how well they're working. Let the, let that decide who goes over in this match. Um, and to me, you know, Sammy Guevara is the real winner, even though he didn't get the pinfall. He really did a great job. Um, and also and then tying me back into the initial match with the uh, with the Battle Royale. For those who don't know, AEW also has an agreement with ITV in the UK uh, for broadcasting AEW television, as well as they do with TNT starting in October. They really, really hyped up their relationship with ITV. They, did. Uh, they had a lot of British wrestlers in the Battle Royale, Kip Sabian being British as well. Um, and anyone watching there was up at a crazy early in the morning. Um, they're a good five hours ahead of us, and the show started at eight Eastern. So yeah, they're going was, from like one to five or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's really late for them, uh, and they really were mentioning a lot um, on how much they value their their British relationship, uh, which is probably to me why Kip Sabian went over. Just kind of the continued thank you here as the British wrestler winning the first ever singles match in AEW. Sure. So now uh, we move on to the official show uh, where we start with a six-man tag match. Uh, the SoCal Uncensored against the Stronghearts. Um, so SoCal Uncensored, a.k.a. SCU, uh, 
actually are two of the three guys you probably may have heard of as a wrestling fan. Uh, Frankie Kazarian, the fallen angel Chris Daniels, and Scorpio Sky make up SCU. And they competed against the Stronghearts, which are a Chinese contingent uh, from the... Uh, I forget the name, the letters, uh, O O W E O W E. Yeah. Yes. Oriental wrestling entertainment in China. Uh, and there, and this was, this was a really good six man tag. Um, most six man tags tend to either be really good or just a hodgepodge mess. And this match to me was, was definitely, uh, enjoyable, especially once, uh, the strong hearts started to get into their rhythm. Uh, this match really started off kind of slow, but really ended on a high note for me. I thought it was fine. Um, uh, I thought that, uh, you know, you know what you're going to get from Christopher Daniels and I thought that they all looked pretty good. I was impressed with Scorpio Sky. I don't think I've ever seen him before, mm-hmm. but, uh, he's an athletic guy and, uh, he stood out to me in this match, but, uh, they, they all were great athletes. Um, and it was a good way to open the, the pay-per-view. If you missed the, the pre-show and this is the first match you're seeing, this is something more ideal to, to how I would have let in. Yes. The, the wrestling was great. Scorpio Sky, um, as franchise mentioned, heck of an athlete. Um, if you've never seen him envision a taller, thicker, a little bit wider, um, Ricochet, essentially, um, yeah. not not doing as much as Ricochet, Good um, comparison. But, but highly athletic, just a bigger Ricochet. Um, yeah. You know, he he did very well. He's there. He's the, he's the guy with the high spots. Um, he's he's a better wrestler. Than people realize because he's used so much for the high spots. And then again, you know, Kazarian and Daniels, they're phenomenal in ring, and their opponents. Um, once they started, you know, really working, they they. They wrestled well. They worked well. They sold well. Uh, really good way to start off the pay-per-view uh, with SCU getting uh, the win. One, one thing about this match that really stood out to me uh, and became a running theme throughout the show, I don't know how you felt, but it felt like it didn't feel like one show to me. Um, the pre-show and then to this really made me feel like it felt like all in felt in the, in the same way that I felt like I was watching just a, how's the best way to put it. I felt like I was watching a collaborative show instead of an AEW show. Cause all in was, was essentially a collaborative pay-per-view, you know, and this one still felt that way because this opening match, the pay-per-view didn't feel like the previous two matches. It felt like a different company produced that match. It felt like uh, I, I would agree with that. And, and there was actually, uh, until you really get to the middle of the show, I think that that, that kind of feeling carried over. Um, all in was, it's all the same guys doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you can go back and kind of call that the 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 first AEW show in a way, kind of like the the embryo the the of of the AEW. But uh, that was an independent show where you had all these gathered uh, forces together. And, and to this point, I would agree with you. Uh, 
including uh, the OWE guys right off the start of your pay-per-view certainly had that feel. And if you go all the way to the semi-main where the Young Bucks are defending the AAA tag team titles, which I think you mentioned on Facebook. I did. Um, even that, in a sense, um, kind of lent itself to that independent collaborative feel. Now, Indeed. I know that over the course of time that'll probably change, but um, I was I was struck that as much as we heard the letters AEW and, and as much as the crowd chanted AEW, that you still had this uh, – you know what it felt like? It, it, it felt like um, – you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even saying it's a bad thing that it mm-hmm. felt that way, really, because we're just not used to it. I think um, that's a good point. Uh, WWE rarely, in the past, with few exceptions, has acknowledged the existence of anyone else mm-hmm. uh, that they haven't bought at least. Um, WCW really only. You know, once they really took off in the the mid to late nineties, it was just needling WWE, and they 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 rarely even I guess I guess not rarely. I mean, they mentioned ECW, but there was no appeal to history. Not even even ECW that much. They they would mention New Japan because of their relationship, sure. but that was about it. But but here you had um, these guys at AEW ready and, and willing and able to recognize that they're not the sole proprietors of professional wrestling or sports entertainment or whatever you want to call it, which again, we will also talk about more later tonight. Yes. Um, so it was a breath of fresh air in one sense. And on the other sense, I, on the other hand, I was surprised that you had at least in the semi main and we're not there yet, but I was surprised that you, had a, a, another organization's title on the line in, in the semi main, the only title that was on the line as it turned out. Correct. So, so I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone in feeling that because it just, I definitely had that, that feel. And that feel continued to, for me in the second match, yes. which was the first women's match for AW. We had a, a promoted triple threat match that turned into a fatal four way. Um, we had Britt Baker, Kylie Ray, Nyla Rose and the surprise entrance, Awesome Kong. Uh, Brandy Rose came out in her ring gear, teasing that she was going to get herself involved, which I didn't buy for a hot second. Right. Um, and, but uh, she came out, you know, kind of gives, um, I kind of felt like she was trying a little too hard to, to be Stephanie McMahon um, in, this, in this short promo. Uh, Definitely, that she, that she cut trying as she introduces Awesome Kong because she's like, "Oh, I want this match to be awesome," and even did that little big man-ish voice when she says "awesome." Um, and and I, I, I'll say, I think that if they continue to play Brandy's character that way, I think it's going to not do well for them in the long run. People are tired of, you know, everyone knows wink, wink, nod, nod, that Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega are the the guys who are, are behind this, along with Tony Khan, the, the, the money behind it. Yes. But you watch wrestling to suspend disbelief or to, 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 to suspend reality for a while, mm-hmm. and I don't need to see Brandy Rhodes doing her Stephanie McMahon impression. Right. Um, 
as annoying as Stephanie McMahon can be, she's better at it. And well, she's been doing it for like 20 years too. And, and, and she's been doing it so long that none of us really want to see it every week. And I think AEW would be well advised to tone that aspect of Brandy Grudge's character down and find another way for her to, you know, to be her, her husband's manager, her valet or whatever. I agree a hundred percent. And they're in a very unique situation with Brandy Rhodes because they, what's worked for women, especially a woman of power situations really has just been Stephanie McMahon. Um, anyone who's watched TNA slash impact knows Dixie Carter's role as the female in power just was a travesty. Just it, it didn't work. Um, there's not many women in power examples you really have out there that you can even base things off of. That's problem one. Problem two, as a black woman doing something different, people are going to assume it's going to be quote unquote, very black. And she's trying to be just more. I'm Brandy. I'm, I'm, I'm Brandy Rose. I'm going to be me. And anything that's different, if it's if it's if it feels too urban at all, it's it's going to be a detriment for her as well. And in any character, people are going to be like, oh, they're they're putting Brandy into a atypical black role. So they in a really tough part, tough spot, trying to come up with a a character for her that is going to be true to who she is, but also is not too close to the gold standard for a woman of power character and wrestling and leaning towards the woman of power. Stephanie McMahon example is just not a good fit for her or for the company. Um, because I mean, you mentioned the other you know, guys in power outside of Tony Khan, the bucks, Kenny Omega, and essentially Cody as well. He's the only one that had success in WWE, but the rest of them are cast offs. The rest of them are people that the WWE didn't believe in. You know, Kenny Omega could make it out of NXT. You know, the Bucks, had, I think only Matt Jackson actually only had a, a tryout match on, on SmackDown. Like, these right. are these are guys that Vince and company didn't believe in. That Stephanie right. and, and, and Triple H essentially didn't believe in. So I can understand why they may lean that way because they think it's funny. They, you know, they anyone that watches, you know, them on YouTube, they watch being the elite. They constantly take shots at them um, in, in the comedic fashion. So, to me, he's leaning too more towards that. Whereas, like, we want let's establish a character for Brandy, let's establish it right, and not have her be Stephanie, you know, Junior. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm 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 not black. For those of you who aren't um, able to see the video here, I'm definitely very white. So I'm you're look you're you have a different perspective on it. I, I and and I respect that. I, I did not perceive any. Um racial stuff in the way she was presented. It just came across to me like Stephanie light. Oh no, no, I'm, I'm not saying that there was, what I'm saying is she's in a, a tough spot because anything they do with her that may ever come off as being urban is going to pigeonhole them into, you know, people saying, Hey, you know, that's the stuff Vince does. He puts black people in the stereotypical black thing. You're supposed to be different. You know, you're AW, right. you're supposed to be for everybody. So I'm just saying that they're in a tough spot because of that. And because partially because of that, they're that and the fact that they love taking shots at McMahon's, they have her leaning a lot more to the Stephanie 
you know, 2.0 version instead of okay. having something that's, you know, unique. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would, I would like to see, I think she has value in the manager role in, in the valet role. And, and I think that's something that's missing in professional wrestling today. Um, and with, with the women's evolution and all that, and, and that role has kind of gone by the wayside. And of course, managers have gone by the wayside mm-hmm. in the WWE almost entirely with, uh, well, Leah Rush and Drake Maverick are, are, are I guess, uh, other than Paul Heyman, are the first in quite a while, it, it feels like. But, and so maybe they're, they're trending back that way. You never know. But um, it's something that's missing by and large, and she could be very valuable, and they could distinguish themselves in that way mm-hmm. from WWE, not by making her uh, be an authority figure for the right. women side of the, of the AEW. I agree. Um, so this match kicks off um, very well. Everyone's shocked to see Awesome Kong. I didn't hear anything on rumors or see anything on dirt sheets. Nor that did Awesome I. Kong was going to be there. Total shock. So you know, kudos to AEW for pulling that off. Um, Kong looked. She looked like Kong. She came out. She threw everybody around, um, and. We're not going to get controversial, but for those who don't know, Nyla Rose is a very large person. Um, Nyla Rose is a transgender wrestler. Um, I kind of figured Kong was put in there to kind of be the spoiler for Nyla Rose. Um, it was just, and, I, and I did not know that, actually. So, yeah, I, I'm learning something. Uh, yeah. Um, Nyla Rose is a good wrestler, um, but those who are, are indie fans – you know, it's it's been a, a thing where people are like, well, how fair is it because Nyla Rose is transgender? Um, you know, wrestling's a work, so uh, it's not like it's real competition. But that that thing is still uh, a, a big topic of conversation, and when Nyla Rose is involved, um, and they, I felt that they paced the match well. Um, Kong comes in, throws everybody around. Pretty much Nyla takes Rose out. I mean, takes uh, uh, Kong out, and then you got to see Britt Baker and Kylie Ray, you know, show how well they can work in ring. Um, and when they got to showcase, they they showcased. Yeah, and the right the right girl went over. They've been promoting Britt Baker as far as I've seen. They've been promoting her more than any other. She's apparently a real life dentist. So yes. Doctor Britt Baker's Do- a real Doctor Britt Baker. Yes, that's very unique, and I think that's a great thing to build off of. And so I, the, the right person went over here, even if Aja or I almost said Aja, she's later. Awesome. Kong uh, was the big surprise you're building. If you're going to build your, your women's side around Britt Baker, have her go over in the first match. Indeed. Uh, doesn't mean she has to even has to be the first champion, but have her go for big in your first women's match. And, and she did. And I was, uh, you know, she did all right. Yeah, she did well. I mean, her and Kylie Ray uh, worked, you know, together before. They they were they, the technical skill was on par um, for for how they work. Um, I even think it was it was very believable how they kept Kong from dominating at the end, so that Baker could eventually get the win. Um, yeah, Doctor Baker, she, you know, 
you know, she's not even a DDS. She's a DMD. I mean, she's got that master's in dentistry. You know, she, she's <laughs> top of the line when it comes to the dentistry world. Uh, but she looked great. And she's a woman you can definitely build your, your women's division around. And uh, I, thought, I thought they really did a really good job of that. I mean, second match out of four, but it was definitely the best match of the first. Uh, was it out of five? That's out of five, yeah. Um, out of the first five matches, it's definitely the best one, in my opinion. I'll take the six-man over it, but to each his own. Yeah. Um, next, we have another tag match. Uh, not actually, sorry, the first two-man tag match um, with the best friends uh, against Angelico and Jack Evans. Um, these, I mean, again, if you're not an indie fan, you probably have never heard of any of these guys. Um, I've heard the best friends. I had not seen Angelico or Jack Evans before, and I was kind of glad I hadn't because when they came out, they looked like created wrestlers from like SmackDown <laughs> versus Raw 2008. Like, I mean, the stand green and with black, plain black flames. I mean, it, I, I swear I've seen that in the in the in the car section. Uh, uh, from THQ. I know I've seen that. I was like, wow, they look like, <laughs> like you can't get more indie than looking like a creative wrestler. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really bad. Um, they had, they, they had good, um, they had good chemistry. I felt uh, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta uh, are, are the best friends. Trent Beretta's got a, a pretty much probably the biggest name out of these four gentlemen. Um, and they had, they had a solid tag match. Uh, it's a really enjoyable tandem moves. Um, and the match ends with the best friends uh, getting the, the pinfall. <clears throat> but there was some uh, some shenanigans at the end. Yeah, I didn't really get that at all. Apparently, these guys were known as the Super Smash Brothers uh, from what I've read, but they weren't. They didn't say who they were during the broadcast, and there were all these other masked guys around with them, and they went after both teams, and uh, I was just left wondering what I just saw. But uh, Yeah, that they didn't tell that story uh, well at the end at, at all. Yeah, this uh, match was just all right to me from, from you know, they, it's clear that the guys are athletic enough, but um, this one just didn't flow as well for me. Uh, and then the after match angle just kind of left a sour taste. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, you have a you have a, a a tandem a team another tag team comes out. You essentially establish themselves as a heel tag team by attacking the combatants, um, and then a group of masked minions. I mean, I don't think I have a word for them. You'll come out. Um, and they form like a human throne, essentially. And, you know, one of them sits on them and the lights go out. <clears throat> and <laughs> Kind of reminded me of like the Druids coming out for the Undertaker or something. Yeah, I, but, but nowhere near as cool. I mean, that, that had a mystique to it. This was, this, was, this was dudes looking creepy that had other dudes sit on them. Like, it, it, it didn't make any sense you didn't tell me a story you didn't tell me who these people were why should you care ask why they beat these guys up and you spoke on the outfits a minute ago these guys outfits look like they got them from like the, the the back of the halloween store that pops up every october in your in your local mall in your abandoned retail mini mall yep so, um i was just yeah it didn't didn't do anything for me as far as making me want to see more of it i i agree 
Um, so next we have another six, uh, six man match or six woman match in this case, um, which continued the, uh, the collaboration pay-per-view feel where we have all Japanese combatants. We have Hikao Shida, Riho, and Ryo Mizunami against Aja Kong, which was a huge surprise. I did not expect to see Aja Kong. Um, no. Yuka Sakazaki and Emi Sakura, uh, where the team of Shida, Ryo, and Mizunami went over uh, for for the pin as uh, Shida pinned Sakura, who, um, if you're a Japanese uh, wrestling fan, uh, Sakura is... Uh, has been a teacher and mentor uh, of Sheeta's for, for years. So there, there was a special story there, but unfortunately they, they didn't get a, do a, jo- a good job of uh, portraying that to the American fans who most of them had no idea who any of these women are. Right. The only one anyone would have recognized is Aja Kong. And I was left wondering why this was on the show because I wasn't given a reason to care. Right, you know about, and if there was if there was a story between any of them, it wasn't communicated. At least not that I heard. Now I admit, my eye and ear wasn't on the the screen every second of this show because I've got four kids. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I saw Aja Kong and I was waiting for Alundra Blaze and Bertha Faye to show up or something. But uh, yeah, she's a legend in women's wrestling in Japan and. Mm-hmm. I understand them bringing her in. I just wish they would have done a little bit better job of, of, uh, you know, getting us to want to invest in it. Yeah. To care about this match. And I understand it wasn't the main event. It wasn't even close to the main event, but, uh, you know, give us a, I mean, it's high high on the card. Tell us us more about the people. Yes. Especially because, especially because this is high on the card. Like, this is this is middle of the card. Yeah, this is yeah, this is middle of the card. This is pretty much the halfway part uh, of this pay per view. So if you're going to bring out six Japanese women, only one who any American fan and they had to be a fan, uh, like like yourself and myself who watched, you know, during you know the new generation age where we were seeing Aja Kong in the United States or someone who's been watching Japanese wrestling for a while, no one else knows who these people are. Right. So if you're going to have them this late in the show, you've had plenty of time to introduce them during the pay-per-view. Right. You could have, you could have had them, you know, cut a promo, you know, have them just introduce them in some way, say, you know, coming up, we've got, you know, Shida, Ryo, Mizunami, and we, you know, they're going to be facing Kong, Sakazaki, and Sakura, and here's why. Like, instead of showing us the same promo for the Cody, for, for the Rose match between Dustin and Cody that they showed two or three times, you could have let in at least introduce us to these people so that we care, right? Uh, and 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 have it not feel like a fill-in. You know, Did they bring in a guest announcer for this match? I can't remember. Um, <clears throat> I. Nah, for, the reason for, I ask is because whenever WCW back in the day would have a match like this, they'd always bring someone like Mike Tanay in to join the broadcast. To join, yes, so Tanay could give the knowledge, background knowledge. You know, I, I'm yep. reminded of like when they would bring in the, the Lucha Libre guys from Mexico. You'd have Tony and and, and Bobby Heenan 
there on Nitro or whatever, and then they bring mm-hmm. in Mike Tanay for that match to at least give you some context. Yes. Um, at least let you know a little bit about the people you were watching. And they, I, I can't remember if they did that here. I don't they, remember it. They, I will they, say I don't remember it if they did. They they didn't, um, you know, and let's let, unless we for, you know, uh, I should have mentioned earlier, uh, let's we forget that good old JR Jim Ross was calling um, this card once it was off the pre-show. He called the entire main show alongside of uh, Excalibur and, and I Alex Marvez. And Marvez, who and since I can't we're talking stand. A, since we're talking about that, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. I thought JR for the most part, did a really good job. It was refreshing to hear him. He did seem to get confused a couple of times during the broadcast about um, what was who, next, or he got a name wrong. Or, or who was who. Yeah, the who yeah. was who was. But tough. he's learning these people, and I, and I understand that. Excalibur was okay. Alex Marvez. I, I don't terrible. know. He, I, he was – it was brutal, and uh, it was among the worst uh, – worst announcing jobs I've ever heard. And he's horrible. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And I know that when they were doing the stand ups of mm-hmm. the three of them, I know that he he kind of corrected JR one time at, at, at one point. And yeah, that that was fine. But as far as his announcing went, uh, it was bad. Um and I don't know if that was the first time he's ever done that. I, I think I read somewhere that it was uh, I would be evaluating whether or not you want him to be on TNT, right? Week if if I was the P and and, and they've got a couple months before they got to think about that or before at least they have to make a decision. I, I, I should say uh, on who's going to be there with Jr. Uh, on a permanent basis, but uh, I would not make it him. That's that's my opinion. Yeah, I'd bring, and, back, I'd bring back Tony Schiavone, but that's well. You know what? It's funny you said that because JT said that apparently they missed out on Schiavone. Yeah, they yeah they um it was mentioned on Shivani's podcast that he apparently stood up a a lunch that he didn't know was that he a, didn't a know. meeting, right? And but, if I if I'm them, I'm calling Tony. Yeah, because they need him. Marvez just doesn't have it. I mean, I, I, Excalibur was better than I thought he was going to be, um, but Mar. And it you was, would it was painful. You wouldn't think that you wouldn't think that Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone would be an ideal pairing because they're both kind of the straight man. But they they did a lot of announcing together back in the early nineties, and I they're, they're actually one of my favorite combinations. They so are a great combination. I agree. I would love to see that again, just to see what it was like after all these years. Indeed, at least for anything for just to solidify your announcing thing that's so huge once you get on television. Yeah, they're going to need people who know what they're doing when they get on national television week after week live. Exactly. And because Marvez, he doesn't have it. It's just, it's simple. I mean, I, unless I can try to pull Kevin Kelly, you know, out of Ring of Honor in, in New Japan, or I don't know who they would get if they can't get Tony, but. Well, I, I, I have an idea. The one I get. I have an idea, and I don't know that he's – I don't think he's ever done any announcing, but his father did. And I think Dustin Rhodes could have the potential to be really good in that spot. Mm. Um, I don't know how much more wrestling he's planning on doing now that he's 50. We're about to talk about his match. But unless he plans on staying active in the ring, I think that would be an interesting idea for them to give a try at least. 
that is really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Um, well, we know uh, before we talk about this match, we know he's having at least one more match, but um, yeah, that, it's up in the air what Dustin's going to do. So that that could be interesting. Okay, I'll have to stew on that a bit. Yeah. So let's let's go into, um, in my opinion, the best match of the night. This was not only the best match of the night. This is probably the best match I've ever seen Cody Rhodes have. And it's the second best match I've seen Dustin Rhodes have. Second only to a tag team match he had with Ricky Steamboat as his surprise partner at Clash of the Champions 17 in November of 91 mm-hmm. against uh, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. But uh, that that match is always going to be the top for me for Dustin Rhodes. But this one, I was shocked at how much I liked this. This, and it this was by far the best match of the night, in my opinion. This match is with something else. So, um, so we'll set the table. Obviously, if you're a wrestling fan, you know who these two men are. You know, you, you've, you've watched them. You've watched Dustin as Gold Dustin. If you're older like us, you saw him as Dustin Rhodes in WCW. You saw Cody Rhodes as you know as dashing Cody Rhodes. You saw him with Legacy. You saw him unfortunately as Stardust. And you may have seen him in New Japan Ring of Honor as Cody Rhodes, part Bullet Club, now just the Elite. And these men have come to a culmination of their careers. Like the franchise said, Dustin is now 50. Cody is 33. They've been in wrestling for the majority of their lives. And now as... uh, Dustin looks like he's going to ride off in the sunset. They've had this match. Uh, obviously, their father, the legendary Dusty Rhodes, who's no longer with us. Um, so this match, in some ways, was uh, also like a dedication to their late father. Uh, the fans were feeling it, um, and they definitely had the license to, even if they messed up um, a bunch of this match, that was going to be immediately forgiven because of the high emotions in this match. Um, Dustin comes out. Wearing gold dust-like uh, suit, red and black, um, half his face, have his face painted with natural uh, on the back. So yeah, for, the, the fact that it said natural on the back with all that uh, was funny to me. Yes, yeah, I, that struck me as well. That was uh, because because Destin, you know, known as the natural back in the day, um, but also pretty much blending the natural with uh, who he has been as the, uh, the, uh, what do they call him in WWF as Goldust? Gold Dust. Well, no, I know that, but like, what was the, the, the uh, it wasn't odd. It was the, the androgynous one. <laughs> I forget. It was, but you know, being the unique quirky gold dust, he was, you know, calling back to both of those gimmicks that define his, his long career. Right. What, is, what has it been? 30 something years he's been in the ring. And he started, in, you know, I first saw him in 1988 doing like these glorified warm-up sessions with Ricky Steamboat on World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, so it's it's been yeah, it's been like 31 years for for Dustin Rhodes. Uh, he, so he came out and everyone just the crowd popped huge for him. Um, it was definitely the the loudest of, of the night so far. Cody comes out, um, and Cody being Cody. Um, bring brash and young, uh, <laughs> decided to come out. And then he, as he came down the ring, uh, he passed a throne, uh, very similar looking to one that one, uh, Jean Paul Levesque sat in, um, uh, in the WWE. 
Cody made his way down to the ring where Brandy was waiting to reach under the ring and take out a certain item being a sledgehammer. Another callback to one John Paul Levesque. Cody takes said sledgehammer, walks up to the throne, and proceeds to slam the sledgehammer into it. Yes, Mick Foley would have to be proud of the cheap heat that that got Cody for that. Uh, the, the crowd did like that a lot. Uh, it's pretty silly. I don't, you know, I I get what what he's trying to do. He's trying to say this is new. WWE no longer is the king of whatever and uh you know i kind of get it but you know it's just kind of (laughs) silly i i agree to me i I understand why he did it um and for anyone watching this is the crowd's primary pretty anti-wwe or if they're not anti they're just tired of the wwe's product for the past for the past several years so you know him doing this got you know a great response out of the crowd i felt that I felt a bit too much. Um, I understand why he did it. And knowing myself, and I'm a bit of a natural heel, I could see myself being that petty. Um, shoot, my, my original last name is Petty. Like, I, mean, I was born with my last name Petty. So I could see myself being that petty. Um, but to me, you shouldn't, it, it shows to me, right? They're so focused on, on taking shots at the WWE that it's like, okay, I can't, I can't take you that seriously as trying to be this main level, not just competition, but just being a serious wrestling company when you're so focused at taking shots at your former employer. I agree. Um, now, the match itself made me forget about that. that but, yes. But – I don't think everyone knows everyone knows that you used to be in WWE. Right. Everyone watching this understands that you're trying to do something different from WWE. When you're choosing to rub that fact in by destroying the throne, all you're doing is reminding people that you've got a way to go to catch up to WWE. Mm hmm. Um, and think of this. I, not, I felt not, it was unnecessary. It was unnecessary. It was. Like, if you want to take a shot at Triple H, all you could have, all you, you could have done is exactly the same way, except take out the stupid throne. Like, how much money did you spend to have that throne made for you to hit it with a sledgehammer? If well, you want to, take, if you want to take uh, a shot at Triple H, especially you know, a symbol for Triple H, just use the sledgehammer. We can, we can a sledgehammer, have it there, have go down halfway down the ramp, have Brandy get it out, bring it to you, take the sledgehammer, break it over your knee. That's what, yeah, I can see that. I didn't know where you're going with that, but breaking over the knee would be, be something. Yeah. It just, and yeah, cause if you want to take a shot that bad, take a subtle shot. Why waste the money constructing the throne to have it, you know, break apart on impact and all that well, silliness. You know, you, you could, you could, easy you to could do when it's not your money. It's easy to do when it's not your money. And apparently Tony Khan's rolling in it. So Tony uh, Khan is rolling in it. I mean, and he and his dad are rolling in it, but again, you're supposed to be serious. Yeah. So if, if you care that much about, you know, making it about the product and about the wrestlers, you could that I, that thing costs thousands of dollars to make. You could have put that thousands of dollars into something else to make the show better. 
you know, it, it's not exactly the same thing, but it, what, what it calls to mind was when Bischoff would start to give away the results of the tape results. Rawls. Mm-hmm. Um, just stand on your own merits, stand on your own merits. Mm-hmm. Now I'm willing to overlook it because it's the f- first pay-per-view I'm willing to, we're probably given this more airtime talking about it than it probably merits. I am willing to overlook it. You're trying but if that type of pettiness continues, it's going to be a turnoff for me mm-hmm. um, because I'm not interested in seeing you compare yourself to WWE. I'm interested in watching you do better than WWE. Uh, I'm watching, just, I'm just do differently. I want to see quality. I want to see a quality wrestling program. Mm-hmm. And if you keep doing stuff like that, you're going to, you're trying to, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're playing to a certain segment of the, the, the audience for sure who enjoys that type of thing nonstop, but that's a minority of your audience. I assure you and just stand on your own merits from now on. I concur. You did your thing. Now let it be done. Right. You don't have to keep reminding people that you're, you're, you're better off now than you were in WWE. We understand where you're coming from. Don't rub it in. Otherwise, you're going to become th- that which you hate. Exactly. Um, and before we get into the details of the match itself, it is worth noting that the referee for this match is the legendary Earl Hebner. Yeah, interesting to see him after quite a while. But, yes, uh, it, it, it did add a little bit of a gravity to it, I, I suppose. Um Another familiar face for, you know, wrestling fans who are not big on the independent scene to to recognize, and it adds the validity to this company. Yes, I, yeah, he's most well known now as the guy in Montreal, um, but he was always a great referee, and he did a good job in this one. Even though it's, gosh, it's been two decades really since I remember seeing him. Uh, I, I know he was around WWE for a while after Montreal, but I, I don't really don't recall. Uh, but it, but it was it was good to see him, and uh, he did he did a fine job. Yes, indeed. So this match started off with uh, the Rhodes brothers kind of uh, really surprising me by not sticking to the classics. They went out there and. They wrestled a phenomenal match. I was kind of, I kind of figured we were going to see um, a lot of the classic Gold Dust moves, and we really didn't see that. Um, Dustin went out there and just did a whole bunch of. I mean, he he went out and did a Kevin Owens's uh, cannonball off the off, off the apron. On looked Jacoby, really good. He looked Jacoby, really good. He looked. I mean, this man's fifty years old, and I was like, there there are dudes in their twenties that are not pulling that off, and. He hit it. He hit it perfectly. Uh, I'll tell you, he was more convincing in in his quote high spot than a lot of guys who are half his age and a lot more athletic. Um, there is an authenticness, an authenticity to, and I didn't always. I wasn't always the biggest Dustin Rhodes fan or, or Gold Dust fan, but I have come to appreciate him more and more. And, and even now going back and looking at the old WCW stuff where I was like a Lex Luger fan or a stunning Steve Austin fan and Arn Anderson and, and 
Ric Flair and Dustin Rhodes was never my favorite. Going back and looking at him now, uh, with with more mature eyes, um, I have a greater appreciation for him. And he he's an underrated performer in the grand scheme of the history uh, of this business. Indeed. And uh, I, I was delighted to see him pull off the kind of match he pulled off at this event. Um, I, I could carefully, a guy they, was, they wrestled, they did. And for a guy who was never the top guy, you know, you know, never, never the champion, um, either in WCW or WWE, um, or TNA, um, any of his spots, he's, am- he's amazing in the ring. And unlike so many wrestlers, he's gotten better as he's gotten older. Like his, yes. his second WWE was better than his first. Like he's just been fantastic. Um, so as they, they wrestle a great match, they're telling a fantastic story, you know, two brothers uh, just competing and just really giving it to each other. Um, Cody uh, exposes the middle turnbuckle uh, as Errol Hebner's being uh, distracted. And, Dustin takes the turnbuckle to to the head and opens the door for the classic blade job. Yes. And uh, I, people will remember this one for sure. Um, they're going to remember this one for sure. It, it was, it's probably the, the, the most blood I've seen in a wrestling match since Eddie Guerrero and JBL in 2004. That's mm-hmm. what it reminded me of. Um, I don't know if he meant to, bleed that much i don't think he did i, I, I don't you know i, don't I think recently so. i recently heard on uh i think it was a something to wrestle with podcast where they were talking about jbl and they got into that whole match and how eddie guerrero's blood loss in that match was accidental it wasn't meant to be and i and i think this was probably the case here but uh man it was i was glad they had another uh Canvas, canvas, yeah, because that- um, because that thing was covered in blood by the end of this one, and uh, it certainly added something to the match. Now we didn't probably need that much blood, but even with that much blood, it didn't distract me from what they were doing in the ring, and and I'm I'm thankful for that because it was probably the best match I've seen this year, um, Gargano and Cole aside. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's I, I, a tough one. I, I would prefer this match to that. And, um, yeah, it, it was, it was bloody. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's, if you didn't see this match, there's no way else to describe it. But when this happened, it got bloody. Um, I mean, it's dripping. I mean, it's, you, see, you see the drops just dripping off of his head. Yeah, when when he's, you know, dust is on all fours, and you just see, I mean, not even, I can't even say dropping. It's, there are times where it's just literally pouring out of his forehead. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're in the ring, they're out of the ring. Uh, Brandy gets herself physically involved, um, spearing Dustin on the floor. Uh, Behind, yeah, yeah, Hebner rolls up and kicks her out, even though he didn't see it. He could tell that obviously she got herself involved, uh, which drew a huge pop from the crowd. Granny's refusing to go, which causes Diamond Dallas Page to make his uh, face known, which was kind of surprising because he's Team Cody. Um, so I, I, I didn't completely get why he was the one to come pick up Brandy over shoulder and carry her out, um, but. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> Page got to show his face on paper on pay per view. I think um, that was just a chance to get him on camera. And yeah, <laughs> like hey, don't forget about Page. Um, and then that and, just to, and to get Brandy out of the way because she 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 played her role in that match, and now it's down to the two of them, which is yes. Tough. How it needed to be. Which is how it needed to be. It needed to be just the two brothers in the ring. Um, and they went and they continued to to have a Matt Classic here. Um, they got the camera work instantly got better as they were trying to get a great shot. Um, Cody throws the figure four um, on Dustin. Dustin reverses it. And in reversing it, um, the cameraman picked up a classic shot of Dustin, you know, screaming in pain as he's trying to, you know, work the reversed figure four and his head's up. And it was very much like the, uh, the Austin shot back in the attitude era where he's got the crimson mask, which I'm surprised JR didn't say. Um, And I mean, his, it's insane how much blood was on his face because if I don't know what we mentioned earlier, but he came out with half his face painted. Half his face was painted red. That paint was like gone. It was just blood yes. all over. It was completely like a true crimson mask uh, was going on. And that was a very great shot, great camera work by AEW's team there to get that Austin like shot in. Um, they they did great camera work. The rest of it really showing, um, especially as they hit crossroads after crossroads on each other, um, just showing different angles of of that move as they tried to to get the, the pinfall. Um, but it was at this part where it was like, okay, when's this match, when this match is it going to end, though? Because after they hit, like, the fourth crossroads, I'm like, okay, um, like, someone's got someone's got to get the win here. So right. it, felt, it felt like it drugged just a little bit yeah, at the, the only, end there. The only thing I would have done if different is uh, I would have played up the old yeller angle a little bit more at the end of the match. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that Cody alluded to in his uh, great promo that was on YouTube before a couple weeks yes. before. Uh, maybe, you know, kind of playing off the whole Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair finish where he's, it, he, he has to do what he has to do to put him away. Yeah. I might, I might've played on that a little bit more, but ultimately no complaints. Uh, he pins him after another crossroads and, and that's it. And, it was the best wrestling match experience, the most enjoyable experience I've had watching a match this year, bar none. And uh, I was delighted that my expectations were met and exceeded. And exceeded. And you, you felt the emotion watching this match. If you haven't seen this match, I encourage you to watch it. The, you could cut the attention, the emotion level with a knife. It's, it's fraught throughout this match from start to finish. Um, and then it got even more emotional. Um, Dustin appears to uh, start unlacing his boots. Um, and again, if you're a wrestling fan, you know, wrestler will take his boots off from the ring and leave him there and exit the ring. It's a you know, sign that he's retiring. This is it. Last match he's done for. Uh, so Dustin starts to take off, taking off his boots. And again, he's still got blood just pouring down his face. Um, Cody comes back into the ring, gets a mic, and mentions that uh, before they started everything, before they started Double Nothing, that he signed on for a match in Florida with a tag team match with a partner of his choosing, and that he would want his brother to be his partner. 
uh, so which the crowd popped to immensely. Uh, so we have at least one more match where the Rose Brothers will be tag teaming against the Young Bucks in Florida. This was very well done, and uh, it, it made me wish I could see it, to be honest with you. Uh, but it, yeah. uh, apparently it's just going to be a live event. Yes, but um, l- let me take this opportunity to – it reminded me of the angle in 1994, which I had sworn off WCW at this point because of Hogan coming in, but this is like right after Hogan comes in. Mm-hmm. And and he's rolling rough shot over Ric Flair, and that's why I'm not interested – but underneath, you got this angle between Dustin Rhodes and the stud stable, but Colonel Robert Parker and Arn Anderson's in there. And I think Terry Funk was still in there at this time, Monkhouse Buck. But they're all going after Dustin Rhodes, and he gets his father's help. And I, there's, a, there's a segment, I, I think it was the Clash of the Champions in August of 94, the same one. Uh, that uh, Hogan beats Flair by count out, or Flair beats Hogan by count out at the month mm-hmm. after Bash at the Beach. I, I encourage you go go watch that on WWE Network if you are listening to this. The Dusty Dustin angle there, this recalled that very vividly because that was such a great angle, uh, underrated angle mm-hmm. uh, back then. And I would encourage you if you're listening to go back and look at that and then compare it to Cody and Dustin. What happened here? Very similar. Uh, and, and it gave you all the feels, and uh, it was very well done. Indeed. Um, so just 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 a great way to, to finish, um, a great great segue there as far as a relation to how much emotion was in this match and how much it was a call to to their careers and to their father um, and his career. You know, this this is like you said, probably the best match you've seen. Um, it's definitely. It's definitely top three. Um, I, I can't go into <laughs> the comparisons right now, see with lack of time, but it's up there. Just a fantastic, fantastic match. Uh, from there, we had an, another surprise. Yes. Um, and this was shocking to me. Yes. This was like, I was like, wait, what? I, I couldn't believe my eyes, my ears. Um, we had the introduction of the AEW Championship. And it was made by one Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, about, a, about six weeks removed from being inducted it, for a second time into the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah. And what a shock. Like, again, another masterful move by the AEW staff by getting this and keeping it under wraps. Meltzer, um, uh, the the Hispanic dude, um, I can't remember his name for right now. All the big dirt shoe writers, nobody said that Bret Hart was making an appearance at Double or Nothing. Bret Hart comes out with this bag, displays the belt, but before he does, MJF. Oh, go ahead. Before you get into the angle, kind of that came out of this. Okay. The fact that you got Bret Hart there to do this to the casual fan who is curious about AEW, you know, your hardcore fans know they're there because they want to see something different than WWE. Your average wrestling fan, who's the casual fan who's given this a chance to see what's up. This was huge in my mind for 
saying this title is going to matter. This organization is going to matter. Even if this is the only thing Bret Hart ever does affiliated with AEW, because I'm sure he's not done showing up at WWE events here and there. I'm sure. I mean, maybe if he's, he's, if, if he's if, smart, if, he's not. If Vince isn't too ticked off at him for showing up here. <laughs> right. But um, to get someone of Bret Hart's stature to, to lend that belt gravitas, uh, I think is a huge win for AEW. And, you know, because whatever you think of, of, of Bret Hart in, in the, 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 the pantheon of, of, of the greatest in-ring performers of all time, uh, it's undisputed that, that he is remembered by today's fans as one of the best ever. Yes. I certainly view him in, in very high esteem as far as his, uh, his in-ring work goes. So to, to have him there, just uh, huge. huge. I mean, he, you, you said it, the gravitas, the first image that anybody has of the AEW title is it being lifted up by Bret Hart? Yes, that immediately gives it its extreme value. This title is is a is is a is a legitimate world heavyweight championship. Yes, held up by one of the greatest world heavyweight champions of all time. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just that's just a big win. Just maybe people might view it as a small thing, but the casual fan that probably you know they saw Bret Hart there. Wow, wow, this 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 is something. Yeah, um, and like because this, because this event took place in Vegas, to me, this is just this is this is this is like a this is like two pocket aces in the hole that they slapped down. Like you know what you didn't see, you didn't see Awesome Kong coming. Now look, boom, Bret Hart. You didn't see that coming, did you? No. Like, and, and and no nobody could have predicted this, especially like you said. I mean, he just got inducted for the second time in the WWE Hall of Fame, and then all of a sudden, here comes Bret Hart. And unfortunately, he didn't look in great shape. You know, laboring to the ring. Yeah, he he was definitely uh, laboring, and that was before he evidently fell on his fell way on the way back. Yeah, and uh, but but yeah, it, it was obvious. You know, he he had to put the belt down to get up the steps and then pick mm-hmm. it back. And, you know, so, you know, I think physically, you know, he's had better days and, and so have I for that matter. But, um, but for him to have to feel it was important enough yeah, just to still do great. it. Yeah. To still do it despite the fact that he was having a bad day, just really, really impressive. Yes. Um, and then you had, uh, then the angle comes out of it where uh, MJF interrupts to, uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry. Before MGF comes out, uh, Bret Hart introduces Hangman Page, being that he's the first official person to um, be able to vie for that title. MGF interrupts, cuts a really long promo. Yes. Good, but really long promo. Too um, long, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a bit too long. Um, Jungle Boy comes out for some reason, and then uh, Jimmy Havoc comes out uh, as well, and this two, the two of them and uh, and Hangman Page proceeds to to toss MJF uh, around and you know and as Brett you know presented the title and get in the ring and held it up, um, you know people and I think that's just essentially uh, setting the stage for MJF as the main heel in this company, and if he doesn't win it initially. Hangman Page is going to be their champion. He's going to be the face of their company. And it definitely seems to be the path that they are 
they're going. I would dispute that. I think that MJF is maybe in your uh, secondary title heel picture, but I think their number one heel is the guy who won the last match. Okay. Well, yeah, so, and I think okay. he'll be the first champion too. I think he will be the first champion as well. I, I agree on that. Um, but before we jump the gun there, we do have one more match to talk about. that We briefly mentioned, and that was the only title being defended um, this night or, or to be gained. And that is the AAA World Tag Team Championship, the Lucha Brothers against the champion, Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Um, again, this continued the feel of the collaboration pay-per-view. Um, AAA, if you don't know, is a Mexican promotion. The Young Bucks had pretty recently, actually, uh, captured these titles um, in a AAA event from the Lucha Brothers who had defended them um, that night and pretty much right after the match, um, similar to what uh, happened at Money in the Bank with uh, Lacey Evans and... Uh, Charlotte Flair against Becky Lynch, where Becky was challenged by Charlotte right after a match, essentially what the Young Bucks did, and the Young Bucks then gave themselves a controversial victory over the Lucha Brothers. So now we've got two really high-flying, very impressive uh, match matches, I'm sorry, two impressive teams in this match, and actually, they're all actually brothers. No kayfabe brothers here. Yeah. The Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers are actually blood related and it's really crazy because uh the elder brothers in pentagon jr and matt jackson are the same age 34 um ray phoenix is 28 and nick jackson 29 so these guys are pretty much as par age wise and experience wise as you can get um this was one of the few matches that the bucks have wrestled in a while um and that most of 2018 matt jackson was dealing with a back problem um so he needed time to heal and they've, I think they've only wrestled maybe four times this year. And they um, played that up in the, uh, the, the, you know, prior to the. Yes. yes they, they, you know, they were playing up the, the ring rust factor against the fact that Pentagon and Phoenix were wrestling the, the previous night. And uh, this adds a sense of realism to what's going on here, which I can always appreciate. Indeed. I, this was my first time seeing. Uh, and this might sound like anathema to uh, most wrestling fans who watch AEW. This is really my first time seeing um, all four of these guys in the ring together. Um, mm. Pentagon and Phoenix really impressed me. I, I really enjoyed their work. Um, I'm not quite as big a fan of the Young Bucks as most people seem to be, but Pentagon and Phoenix uh, carried this match, in my opinion. I think they were fantastic. Um and uh, it ended up being a, a, a pretty good match. Um, I was almost counting on uh, Pentagon and Phoenix winning, even though the Young Bucks are, you know, big deal. I thought that they'd do a title change here and just, just to, to have that happen at the first event. But it didn't. Uh, the Young Bucks go over. They hit the Meltzer driver and uh, and all that. But uh, love, love that name. <laughs> I want to I, I want to see more of Pentagon and Phoenix. Uh, you know, I saw Pentagon. Uh, wasn't he the guy who, who faced Omega at All In? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I, I have seen him before, but my first time seeing them as a tag team, and uh, I'd like to see more of them uh, in the future. I hope, hopefully, they'll they'll be around. Um, 
Yeah, that's the thing as well, as well they be around because they're always working. Yes. Um, Pentagon and, and Ray Phoenix are constantly working. Indie shows, AAA, MLW, they're constantly on the map. Uh, and they're, they're tough to lock down, which is probably one of the reasons, obviously, besides the Young Bucks being a part of the executive staff that the Young mm-hmm. Bucks went over, was they're establishing them, obviously, um, as they're going to be probably the future AEW Tag Team Champions, the inaugural ones, um, and also to try to keep their billing as one of the top, if not the top tag team in the world. Um, I've always been a Young Bucks fan, um, partially just because I look at them kind of the way a lot of people looked at the Hardys initially, and like these guys are like, come on, these these are just a couple guys with long hair. Like most people overlooked them, and they worked hard, and also they're entertaining. I think part of the reason why they're liked so much is because they're entertaining guys um, on top of their in ring work. In ring, Pentagon and Ray Finks, they're better. Um, the Young Bucks are very good, um, and they have a great job of mixing their very good with the entertainment factor um, to be able to produce you know, a, a quality match and also tell a good story. Um, I, think, I think they did that, especially, as you mentioned, how focused they were on, on Matt's you know, previous back injury. Um, and they, just, they, had, they had another great match as they tend to. And one thing about them, is when they're in the ring with guys on their skill level or higher, they they raise their game. They look better. They perform better when they're in the ring with other top talent, um, which unfortunately can't be said of every of every wrestler. Um, but the Young Bucks, to me, they upped their game as I expected them to, and and also the fact that they mixed things up. They didn't go to the the tried and true well of this move, you know of just the repetitive moves, they, they showed some offense they hadn't done in years. Um, and then they went back to obviously the end with the Meltzer driver, but, you know, they were showing some classic Young Bucks moves that were not in their recent repertoire. You hadn't seen them you know, doing these moves in, in Ring of Honor or New Japan wrestling probably a year or two. So that, that, part, that part was cool just to keep things fresh and being the AW is obviously a fresh product. So that brings us to the main event. Yes. Chris Jericho. Yes. Kenny Omega. I was so excited for this match. Um, this, this was the reason, not the reason, but this was a main reason why I watched this show. Um, I was pleasantly surprised with how good Cody and Dustin was. I expected it to be good. I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. But I really, really wanted to see this match. I watched their match at Wrestle Kingdom, and it was fantastic. And I was so eager to see it happen again. Um, Jericho's entrance. Yes. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, you know, he had hinted on his podcast a week or two before this that uh, he was going to have an entrance uh, that, that we'd want to see, and it did not disappoint. Um, playing off the Lionheart character from the WCW days and the list of Jericho and then the light up jacket. Uh, and then, yeah, then he makes his regular entrance with a, with a different look from any of those things. Yes. And, you know, I, I, we've probably said it before. I'll say it again. And, and it's certainly not something that uh, hasn't been said before by others, but Chris Jericho is uh, a treasure to this business in how he 
can continue to reinvent his look, his character, and do so with excellence. Um, it, you you start to run out of superlatives for how well he's done with different incarnations of, of himself. Jericho the wrestler. Yep. And uh, this may be not may not be my favorite look of his, but but it still works. It's something yeah. different. It's something, and, and so. Uh, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I, I'm a big Jericho fan. He's 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 up there. He climbs higher every time I watch him. Yes, and so, uh, yeah. You, you mentioned the reinventing, um, and we've talked. You know, if you listened, uh, we, we've talked at length uh, in our Hall of Fame discussion, which is in our archives. Um, on where the level of, of Chris Jericho is. And one thing we really haven't mentioned in the constant reinventing of himself is that he has also continued to change, you know, his finisher or his go-to move. Um, yes. With those, with those changes. Most of the time when the people change character, their finisher is still the same. They go face, they go heel, their finisher is still the same. Chris Jericho has gone from, you know, the, the lion tamer, the lion salt, to the, the um in the lion tamer the wall of jericho to the code breaker to now the uh judas effect which is essentially a spinning elbow yes um and he promised that he was going to hit the Judas effect and we've and, also and go ahead that's, that's why the match had to end that way yes indeed and well, actually, before we before we even go there, uh, let's jumping we too far ahead of this match. Let's remember that Chris Jericho is forty eight years old. Uh, Kenny Omega is my; she's thirty six, thirty seven years old. Um, these two put on just what I expected—a fantastic match. Um, only thing I did not like about this match was that Kenny hit too many V triggers. Uh, I um, agree, and I, you know, I'm way too many. I'm looking at a synopsis of the match now, uh, and I watched, you know, I watched it live, but I haven't watched it since. And though the words V trigger show up in this synopsis way like, too much, like, like eight times, it's like V trigger, uh, V trigger, like okay, he's hit a whole bunch of them. Yes, and 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 that is also my main complaint in this match. Um, that's maybe what keeps it from rising to the level of. Cody and Dustin earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. um, it just got to be a little monotonous. Yes. But uh, they still pulled off a, a really good match. Yeah. And, and I don't know if they, I'm not sure they did that on purpose because what I was going to say until I reverted back was we've talked at, at nauseum and we'll probably continue to on the importance of finishers and how finishers have been depleted because you'll see a finisher hit three, four, and five times in a match um, sometimes, especially in, in these high main event level matches. We saw one Jewish effect. Yes. And it ended the match. And, and you know, to, to the fan watching this, it kind of came out of nowhere. Yes. You know, there, there was like a DDT before it, and then boom, that elbow. And it kind of came out of nowhere, but I'll tell you what it does. That is the effective way to get that over as a finisher. Mm -hmm. So that when somebody finally kicks out after he does that, ooh, you know, and we are in the day and age where everyone kicks out of finishers. Right. Not, not that I like it, but that's the day and age we live in. But uh, 
yeah, it, it, he had talked about doing this. Uh, he had talked about the Judas effect. So everyone was waiting to see it, but it, it, that's why it had to it had to land and it had to end the match. Yes, on and, one time, and the build and the build up was perfect yes. um, because the way I don't I don't know if they called it in the ring or if they pre planned some of this, but we saw a progression of Jericho through this match. We saw him lock in the lion um, the laws the walls of Jericho within the first five minutes of this match, catching Kenny and, and putting it in. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw. Uh, we saw two lion t- uh, lion salts. We saw two code breakers, but we only saw one juice effect. That's right. When, and when the code breaker, the second code breaker, didn't put Kenny away, he uh, he reversed the third attempt at the one winged angel into a DDT because they botched the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but he we, we saw we've watched him reverse that one winged angel into the DDT, and then boom. That elbow, I mean, that elbow came out of nowhere. Right. He runs them. I'm like, what is he doing? He turns, boom, down, cover, match. Yes. And And I was like, wow, that was beautiful. They told the story that they needed to tell. And even if it came out of nowhere, it tells the story. And that's what you want to do. You don't always want to give the fans what exactly they're expecting. Yes. Uh, You know, we are, we are conditioned because of the WWE style to see people kick out of finishers, kick out of finishers. And then after the 10th one, finally we get a three count, you know, and and that's after interference or something. And we can predict what the next spot or the next move is going to be. This gave you something different. This gave you something you don't see every day. And uh, it worked for me. It worked. I agree. And so we'll see. uh, I'll be interested to see how many times we see the Judas effect before we do see somebody kick out? Well, I can, I'm pretty sure that if they're not having Kenny kick out, they're not going to have Hangman Page kick out of it. Nor should they. I don't Nor think should it they. should. I, yeah, I think, yeah, like like we talked about, you know, we alluded to earlier, I do think that Jericho will be the first champion. Um, not saying that's what has to happen. That's just, I'm saying that's what I think will happen. And, and probably what should happen. And, 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 and you give your champion – you know, he's a former WWE champion. So, uh, you know, again, Gravitas. Yes. For the because, casual fan. Because you talk, if you talk about, when we talk about Gravitas, I got into a discussion and talked uh, in regarding to the universal title. Um, you know, whether it's the main title for WWE or the WWE title is. And I've said repeatedly, let's look at the lineage of the universal title. Finn Balor is your first champ. And you've got Kevin Owens, and you got Brock in there, and like that—that's that's your. You got Roman Reigns in there, and now you know Seth Rollins. That is Goldberg. your and Goldberg in there, which, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that 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 is your lineage of history. Starting for AEW, your first glimpse of the belt is Bret Hart. Your second glimpse, the first time it's captured, you can't set up a history better than to start off with someone like Chris Jericho because you're adding all that past success behind you know the weight of that belt you're putting that that name to it you're attaching that to the lineage of someone who as we've said could be inching into that upper echelon top hall of fame top greatest of all time discussion and it, it, it it's going to make it even 
even bigger, and eventually this leads to Jericho Omega three, yes. where Omega will probably go up to one in their series, right? And 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 maybe be the second champion, but uh, to have Jericho win it with, with beat Omega with his finisher and put himself in line to be the first champion, uh, it just it helps to establish that title, and and I do think that's what they'll do. I could be proven wrong. We could be proven wrong, but uh, that's what I would do if I was booking. Same but, here. Um, and then after the match, yes. Jericho was Jericho grabs the mic and just cuts a fantastic promo. Um, Don't and, let the fans cheer you if you're the heel. You do yes. something to get them to boo you. And and, uh, and he was great. Classic Jericho. Because they were cheering. I was cheering, <laughs> and you know he grabbed that mic and, and turned that crowd. Um, and then we had uh, we had the second ace in the hole um, that AEW was was hiding there, and we had uh, some commotion in the crowd as as Jericho um, was still in the ring and Kenny still lying on the mat. Uh, the crowd, the cameras panned to the crowd, and <clears throat> John Moxley was walking through the crowd. Jumped over the railing, got in the ring as Jericho was still on the mic. He turned around and Jericho said, "What are you doing here?" Yeah, <laughs> you uh, don't work here. Great that he came through the crowd too. <laughs> you know, hearkening uh, back to the days of the Shield. Yes, but uh, yeah, that you know, we talked a few weeks ago about his video. I was convinced. I said then I was convinced until proven otherwise that this was a WWE production. Uh, learned a little bit more about that video today, uh, actually, but we can get into that in a couple minutes. But it, he's with AEW now, uh, and great way to enter. Uh, he had an interaction with the winner of the match. He had an interaction with the loser of the match, and it looks like they might be building toward a, a, a Moxley Omega match. Eventually, uh, yes. they, they fought to the to back, and you know the thing with the poker chips uh, threw Omega off the the stage, and the pay per view ended that way. So, uh, leaves you wanting more, and that's what you're supposed to do in this in this you know in the entertainment business. You leave them wanting more. Yes, and, uh, and so there you go. Yeah, so Moxley hit the double arm DDT on Jericho. Um, started to mess with Omega. Omega wouldn't let him hit it. They fought into the crowd in the back, came back out, battled on top of the oversized poker chips where Moxie finally landed the double arm DDT and then uh, did a back uh, backdrop over into the stage below. And what a way to end a pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, especially for your first one. Yeah. Uh, great main event. The, the the roof blew off when Moxie showed up. Um, and, you know, it, and he didn't feel, I mean, it, it's been eight years since we, anyone has seen John Moxley as John Moxley. It felt like he hadn't left. He, he looked so comfortable being back as Moxley and shed from the, the shackles of, of Dean Ambrose. Um, this he's gonna he's gonna do great. I just feel he's gonna do great in AEW because he's feels he looked even before we get into his interview with Jericho on the podcast. He looked 
relaxed. He looked free. He looked like he was having fun. Yeah, not not being familiar with his work before I saw him as part of the Shield. Um, yeah, I, I I agree with you. He he looked like he was he was into it, and I think that he is a valuable addition. You know, I, I've never been the biggest uh, Dean Ambrose fan, but I'm interested to see what comes of him. And uh, you know, to have someone who was so recently a part of WWE pop up on your pay-per-view, your first pay-per-view, just another coup, you know? Yes. And, of course, and he was a free agent out there. Um, <clears throat> so it's just another another big get for AEW to say, hey, we're real. We're not, yes, we're, we're, we are legitimate. And, uh, again, for the casual fan, seeing that, oh, Okay. Wow. Wow. They got him. Oh, wow. Exactly. Well, folks, we're going to take a break and talk to you about Fandango. Father's Day is little over two weeks away, and there's no better gift to give dad than the time to relax. This Father's Day, give dad the gift of dinner and a movie with Fandango. Use the link in the description of this episode to get your dad a $25 Fandango gift card and one $25 Darden Restaurants gift card. The Darden's Restaurants gift card can be used at any Olive Garden, Longhorn Steakhouse, Bahama Breeze, Season 52, Yard House, and Red Lobster in the United States. Food and fun without kids for Father's Day is the finisher you want to hit this year. Order his dinner and a movie gift card today. So we've got great pay-per-view we've just covered. And now we're going to talk about some of the repercussions, reverberations from Double or Nothing. Let me tell you something. I, I every, every morning I get up out of my bed. I don't listen to a lot of the radio. I, don't, I really don't even watch a lot of news shows on TV to be honest with you. But what I, one thing I have come to love are my podcast. And I've got a few of them that I listen to. And Wednesday is one of the big days where I, I wake up. The first thing I do is I refresh my podcast app. So I'm making sure I'm downloading all the ones that have just dropped. And when I saw Talk is Jericho, and I think it was called The Emancipation of Dean Ambrose. That's it. Yep. Man, I tell you what. I'm I'm sitting here in my house. I'm packing to move. It's crazy. But I'm sitting here in my my office, spare bedroom that we use as an office. I use as my office and I'm I'm packing all my books. I'm a, I'm a I'm a pastor so I've got a lot of books. Spend and I'm listening to this thing. And man, I I've never been much of a fan of Dean Ambrose and now I better understand why that's the case. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean I'm a fan of, of Jonathan Moxley, uh, John Moxley, but man, Jonathan good, who that's his real name. Mm-hmm. I got respect for that guy. And it was an, you know, I, I didn't learn anything in this podcast that I didn't already pretty much figure was going on behind the scenes in WWE. But to hear it from him, <laughs> man, I, what he said embodies my frustrations with what I see in the creative and the booking 
for many years now in WWE. And let me just tell you, and, and we kind of sh- shared notes, um, but here's a guy who just, he left WWE. He left the right way. Yes. He, he wrestled out his contract. He didn't publicly complain behind the scenes or, you know, on, on social media. He didn't do, he didn't do new Sasha Banks or anything like that. He just did his job. He, and he, he, he despite the I, frustrations and <laughs> I don't know, man, I, I would, you know, and you listened to the whole thing. I wasn't able to, but for the first half an hour, the parts that you were mentioning to that I also heard when he mentioned that he knew back in July of last year that he was done. Yes. He was out. I'm thinking, wait, July of last year, dude, your contract ran out in April. Didn't demand a release. Didn't throw a fit. Didn't complain. He went, did his job, did it well. And went out as a professional. He, like, he, he was injured uh, when he, realized it's time for me to go and yes. um just if if you're listening and you, you you know this is pretty big news if you look at the wrestling websites today um but talk is jericho is the podcast and uh you know what what he said and, I, and i'll just kind of run down what i what i was typing to you uh, because okay. you hadn't had a chance to listen to it all but he, you know, he was very gracious in the beginning. He said he'd never been happier in his life than he is right now. He he did say the weight of the world was off his shoulders, but but he did say that he was thankful for WWE. Yep. It changed his life. He talked about how he got to live the dream. He uh, he made a big deal on multiple occasions during the interview about the Make-A-Wish program, and, of course, we all know that's a big thing with WWE. They do great work as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a part of that and it, and it sounded like it genuinely meant something to him. Yes. But, uh, and before you and the fact that he met his wife there. And of course. Yes. And, and how important that was. And he said, yes. and I, I said it, I quote, if nothing else, he said, if yes. nothing else, I met my, I met her there and my soulmate, you know, he, he, he couldn't say anything, you know, that negative as far as the experience. He was so glad to have the experience. Right. So that said, then he did joke that now we're about to trash the company. <laughs> so, I, I believe he said, and bury the, no, let's bury the company for the next two hours or something yes. like that. So um, he did talk about how he was, he was realizing he was going to leave in June, July of 2018. So almost a full year ago. Yes. And he began to imagine what it would be like to wrestle somewhere else, rather that be CZW or Japan or, or whatever. Uh, he's talked about how he gotten so frustrated uh, that he was determined to, even if he had to, he'd start his own school and train his opponents. Right. Um, because what came across and, you know, I know we're only getting his side of the, the of everything here, but, but it has the ring of truth to it. Mm-hmm. is um, a guy who loved wrestling. He, he, he and, and, and I'll talk more about this in a minute, but he loved wrestling. He loved the promos. He, he talks about how. That was his favorite part. Yeah, it was his favorite part. And, 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 he, and he loved the wrestling. And, and, and over the course of time, and if you've watched WWE for the past few years and, you know, 
he's been a baby face. He's been a heel. He, he talks about being a baby face and clashing with the writers, clashing with Vince McMahon. Uh, they're writing things that make no sense. Uh, you know, he's this lunatic fringe character, but, and that's all well and good, but they're writing things that are more silly than lunatic fringe. And, and mm-hmm. you know, he's always had this kind of uh, persona, this kind of, the way he comes across is there's like a, a an edge to him. And, and yeah, I can see, and, and, I, and I haven't watched week to week for every for every bit of the last few years i i you guys know that if you've been listening to this but you know i can remember some silly things that he he was involved in and, yeah. and this kind of goes against what his character was supposed to be and at least in his eyes and well, the, the lunatic fringe wasn't supposed to be silly the lunatic fringe was pretty much supposed to be the pg version of moxley it was supposed to be a callback to, you know, his previous work. It's what people knew him as, his hardcore, you know, crazy guy. Like do the, anything. Um, yeah, and, and and I think we've we've talked about him being, being like um when we when we were talking about his video. Yes. Kind of like a modern day Cactus Jack. Right. Exactly. For this era, mm-hmm. a guy who uh, violence with a TV PG thirteen or a TV PG kind of exactly. It, but. Um, he's the guy that got frustrated and frustrated and frustrated over the course of time. And he points to, to two things that happened two days. One, one was when he started counting the days until his contract expired. Right. And, and that was at a raw in Los Angeles where he was doing a bunch of promos. Some of them were live and some of them were pre-taped and, and none of them made any sense. And none of them told the story they, that he thought that they were trying to tell and he talks about how that kind of killed the 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 Rollins angle that they were going on. Yep. And um, I don't recall that raw specifically. I probably didn't see it, but I do know that that few kind of fell flat in my eyes. And and I can see why listening to him. He also talks about how the writers included a line about Roman Reigns as cancer, which I don't remember. Um, I don't know if you do, but I. It, there was some line about his cancer that he felt was very distasteful, but Vince kind of Jedi mind tricked him into it's saying it. it. And when he said it, when he, when he heard the words coming out of his own mouth, he was disgusted. Um, I don't, so, I don't remember the line. I do remember because I didn't, I know I didn't watch that raw. I do remember the repercussion of it. I remember people talking about it afterwards. I'm like, wow, like, did he really say that? Like, that was borderline not cool. Uh, but I forget the exact thing he said. Right. Um, so he's counting the days at this point. And he's got to be careful because you know, his wife's there, and he doesn't want to make trouble for her. And he knows for sure he's going to leave at a Raw in Milwaukee, and they do a segment where the doctor is giving him shots to inoculate him from the fans. Yes. And he termed it goofy crap. Um, and one of the things he said, he said that WWE took the wrestling away from him. And that, that really stood out to me. Um, that, that was when he described that, that stood out to me too, because he did one, he did a great Vince impersonation when he said it, he's like, Vince is like, ah, this is good stuff. Um, and he mentioned how, like, he's being inoculated against the people because it's so bad and he's going to catch something. And 
And when I heard him say it in Vince's voice, I really could imagine Vince trying to pitch it to him. And honestly, if Vince was saying it as the Mr. McMahon character, it probably would work. It probably wouldn't sound like goofy crap. Right. Come, but coming out of Dean Ambrose, it's goofy crap. I think part of some of the frustration that we as fans are having and that Vince is probably having inside is that Vince would probably say, well, hey, if I go out and say this, it's going to get over. You know, people are going to hate it. I'm going to be, you know, this, this continue to be this great heel. You can, you should be able to say the same stuff and have it work. But a lot of this stuff would probably fit Vince's character. It's not going to fit. It's not going to, it wasn't fitting the Dean Ambrose character. It yes. Just come, and, it just came off stupid. And, and, you know, one thing I've heard on different podcasts, wrestling podcasts over the years, and, and something I think is true is that the best characters are when you take your own personality and you turn it up to 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems, you know, Dean Ambrose was a, a WWE-ized version of the John Moxley character from what I've gathered. But that WWE started to change that into something that was silly, which was not part of who he was. And it, it basically killed his love of the wrestling business for a while. Um, I would agree with that. It's, and we mentioned the Cactus Jack um, comparison. Um, in I would say similar to the way mankind was changed from serious to silly, even though Foley was on board for that. Um, he made it work too. He made it work too, but it, it, it was a different time. I mean, right. And that, but, the but they try to do being, that was part of getting him over. I mean, it, it's different. Because, you know, you know, it, it's different because Foley, I mean, dude, love was a character. I think it was Foley's first character back in the seventies. Yes. And Run, it was part of his care. It was part of who his personality, it was part it, of his, who he was. Yes. That was his boyhood version of himself. Right. Um, so I think Vince saw the, Hey, we were able to take this crazy person and make him silly. You know, this, this should be able to work for Ambrose. People are the, our fans love it. Our fans love it when crazy guys go silly. Like that's not him. He's not yeah. fully that that's, it's not who he is. And the, and, and it was really telling for me when, when Moxley's saying, Repeatedly, that Vince is saying, "This is you. This is you. This is you." That's not him. Yes, Vince is trying to convince him that this is who he is. Exactly. Uh, and to, to Ambrose's credit, he didn't like like I mentioned earlier. He didn't take to Twitter. He didn't take to Instagram. He didn't take to social media to do subtle jabs one of the things I really respected about, and, and again, this is all from his side. This, this is just his side of the story and, and grant that. Mm-hmm. But he said that uh, he made his case. He decided to, to, to play out his contract, not ask for his release. Um, although he did think about it, but he, but he didn't want to make trouble for WWE. He didn't want to make trouble for his wife. He didn't want to make trouble for his friends. Right. We're still there. And he uh, he just decided he was going to, if this is what the boss wants and he's signing my checks, I'm going to do it as best I can. Right. 
and and I very much respect that. Um, but yeah, he did talk about feeling liberated, feeling free. He said he's it's the best he's felt in a long time. Um, and, and again, going back to that that statement, how WWE took wrestling away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, it just this whole interview scratched my itch. <laughs> yeah. My, my curmudgeon itch a little bit. Um, Dean Ambrose dreamt of Jonathan good dreamt of being a professional wrestler. Right. He did not dream of being a sports entertainer. Okay. You can't say wrestling on WAE programming. It's, the biggest night in sports entertainment. Uh, he's one of the greatest sports entertainers of all time. Um, he He's great at, uh, even like in the course of a match, they're not even calling it wrestling. They're calling it sports entertainment. Kids don't dream of being sports entertainers. People don't fall in love with sports entertainment. They fall in love with wrestling. And WWE takes that away over the course of time. Yeah, there's a very small segment that would say that would disagree with that. You, the ones that grew up where they were young when when Rocky was huge, um, they're the very few that would disagree with that because he was clearly sports entertainment. Um, but and, still, when when you asked what is what is the Rock? What does he do? He's a wrestler. He's yeah. a wrestler. They don't even call him that anymore in WWE. Right. They're sports entertainers. Right. Or superstars. And, and and Vince McMahon has been in this business longer than I've been alive. And he was announcing for his daddy's promotion and he was doing stuff and, and he took over in 82, 83, whatever that was. And so he, I, I was born in 76 and he was, he was at ringside well before that. And, and so I get it. He's done this a lot longer than, than me. I've never done it as far as, <laughs> but at his core, Vince McMahon is not a wrestling guy. At his core, Vince McMahon is an entertainment guy. Yeah, and, he's always been pretty strict on that. And in the and, 80s. And, and and he would say that you know, even I remember those old WWF bumpers at the beginning for, for over fifty years. The revolutionary force in sports entertainment. entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but. They can use that jargon all they want. People think of it as wrestling. Because it's what it is. And part of wrestling is the in-ring product, the promos, turning yourself up to 11 to get your character across. And when you delegate that work to a room full of writers, which is what WWE has been doing now for at least 15 years, mm-hmm. really – I think Ambrose or, or Jericho, one of them said, you basically since uh, this is the creative setup that's been in place since the WCW purchase. Uh, and when they went public and they, they viewed themselves as a television product more than a, a live entertainment product. Yeah. It's like I said a couple weeks ago, wrestling is at its core, a live event that is televised. It is not, at its core, a television show. You cannot treat it like you do a sitcom. You cannot treat it like you do uh, 
um, CSI or whatever the right. top dramas are. Now. I don't even know what the top dramas are. <laughs> Definitely not CSI, but yes. What's the one I watch? Uh, the Enemy Within. There uh, you go. Uh, well, that's a great point because um, and Mox said it himself. He's like, you know, if you want me to go out and see these lines, you're better off getting an actor to do it. Right. He's, not, he's not an actor. He's a, he's a wrestler. WWE, they've got wrestling guys there. They've got guys like Pritchard. They've had guys like Pat Patterson. They've had the Jim Cornettes and other people who've helped work in creative, Paul Heyman. And yeah. they've had wrestling guys there. And I know Pritchard's back there, and I, I hope he's going to be a good influence on them. I really do. But um, they've also had Freddie Prince Jr. Yes. They've also had – they had, they had uh, Patrice O'Neill. Um, and now Dana Warrior. Is, yeah. You know. at, at, least, at least Patrice O'Neill and Freddie Prince Jr. were like, they, at least they loved wrestling. At least they were wrestling yes. fans. Yeah. You yeah. Know. And I'm not taking I mean, this is nothing personal. It's just the idea of trying to take people who are used to writing for a television show and writing for, for Hollywood and things like that. And, and, and trying to make that what your wrestling show is about. Um, well, I understand like, cause even Dusty Rhodes <clears throat> used to say that he was writing movies um, and not writing wrestling, but I understand the thought process of, you know, making it a longer story and drawing it out. But, and there's something wrong with using that, format to tell your stories over your episodic television but like you said you, you can't you can't film it you can't produce it like it's a tv show yeah. dusty Rhodes's movies weren't weren't told in skits they were told in the ring right they were told in the road warriors taking a a spike to his eye they were told in rick flair turning on Rhodes in a cage after the russians had attacked Rhodes in the cage and this great big double cross uh, the, the Russians had attacked Flair and Rhodes comes to his rescue and then Flair turns on Rhodes and the Andersons break his leg. Those movies were told in the ring. It was essentially a wrestling movie. Yes. Now the, what's in the ring is just secondary to the 20 minute promo that leads off every show and God help us. Shane McMahon appreciation night last night. Don't get me started. Oh, I'm glad um, I didn't watch then. Um, and, and, and all that to say, and, and look, we don't need to rehash every single word that, that was said on the podcast, except to say it scratched my itch. I much respect for, for Jonathan Good. He just he 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 articulated as someone who's just left the WWE so much of what I find frustrating about WWE. And um, I think uh, I'd go out of my way to listen to it if I haven't already. Um and uh, I guess that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> well, I I echo the sentiment, even though I haven't finished it. Definitely uh, listen to this latest episode of Talk is Jericho uh, after, of course, you've listened to the latest episode of Breaking Ring Rust. Um, it was very refreshing um, to get some of the affirmations um, as fans uh, coming from someone who is in the business, but it also is a wrestling fan who's a pro wrestler. Um, that that part is really resonates, I think, with myself and probably with anyone who has listened to the episode. And I, and I'll add this: 
uh, Jericho and, and Ambrose did talk about, they, they did say something like their creative structure has sucked for some time. I think mm-hmm. some variation of those words were used. And I would agree with that. Um, does Vince need to move on? Maybe so. Uh, uh, it would be interesting to see if uh, how things would change if, if he wasn't making every final decision. Uh, does the creative structure need to change? Yes. And, and one thing that they did say on the podcast that I, I would echo is, is I, I'm very much rooting for AEW because if they start to succeed, which I think they're going to, it will force WWE to really take a good look in the mirror. Yes. And, and, and produce a better product. And produce a better product. Which is what WCW did. Which it is exactly what happened. And while I'm not the biggest fan of the Attitude Era, it's, you can't deny that that was the era in which both companies were at their strongest. And you had the, you know, the television ratings told the story. Uh, today, I guess it would be the Twitter mentions that tell the story. Uh, but uh, that was when wrestling was most in the mainstream. Yes. People were talking, people were wearing Austin 316 t-shirts. and It was were, everywhere. And, and, and it's time. WWE has been, I know they haven't, they're not the only game in town. There's always been a TNA. There's always been a Ring of Honor or somebody. But they've been a practical monopoly in North America, or at least in the U.S. and Canada, for well, almost let, twenty years now. Well, let's face it. In, um, let's face it. TNA slash Impact and Ring of Honor are regional promotions. Yes, they're not a national product. WCW was the last national product, and AEW getting on TNT is just so huge. Yes, and it. This isn't. They're not being carried on. FX or Fox Sports or some small affiliate. Some this is TNT. This is one right. of the top two or three, uh, at least regular cable channels, along with you know maybe TBS and USA and and maybe another one. I don't know, but it's a huge deal. And the same oh, network yeah. WCW Nitro was on. Right. And I, I really you know I know that you know my complaining can can maybe get old over the course of time. But really, I'm rooting for all this to work. Yeah. Why am I doing this podcast if I'm so frustrated with the project? Because at, it, at its core, I feel like wrestling. Yeah. And I and want, want, it, to and, want uh, it to be better. And I hope that, that you know, and, 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 and Ambrose and Jericho both said this, We they hope that – uh what AEW is doing will force WWE to, to do better because isn't that what we want? Cause we're all real wrestling fans. Yeah. And, and, so mean, and, and, and to that point, I watched raw primarily because I watched double or nothing and I, and I enjoyed it and I wanted to watch more wrestling. Right. If, if I hadn't watched that, I probably wouldn't have watched Raw. Or if I did, I would have watched like the Hulu recap a, a bit of just to see what was going on because, you know, we, we have a show to do. But I, I was actually like, cool, I'm going to watch Raw and see what happens. You know, I, I felt 
I wasn't like, hey, I'm Raw's gonna be great, but it was like I was happy because I watched good wrestling. Yes. So I wanted to watch more. And and that carries over. You know, people the happier wrestling fans are, the more content they're gonna want to consume. And you want that that content that you're putting out there to be the better content. I could just it flows. Uh, you know, it's still Vince still shot himself in the foot you know, by eliminating pretty much all the major competition. Um, that was, that was not good. I understand why he did it, but. <laughs> I mean, if I were in his shoes, I would have done the same thing. You know, you, you, your goal is to be number one and stay number one. And if there's comp, if, if someone's offering you the WCW product in its library for, for $2 million, dollars. Labels, you yeah. know, I would have bought it too. I'm not saying I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> it's just a shame that uh, it was. It did. It did wind up making WWE a practical monopoly. And to, to their credit, you know, they've had their ups and downs, and 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 maybe this is just one of those down times. But I, I hope that, given genuine competition, I mean, Sami Zayn is saying the words AEW on. Monday Night Raw and getting the biggest reaction of the night, by the way. Yeah. And and I can't imagine Vince was too happy about that. Oh, you know, of course they edited out like the YouTube video of Literally. that segment. Oh, they edited out <laughs> they edited out on the YouTube version. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, it's the internet and it's out there. You can go see it, you can find it. But uh, of course on their official video, they edited out that part where he said, You could have asked me about AEW. Yeah, well, the uh, segment itself was nothing to write home about, but uh, that did get the biggest when he said that. And I mean the fact that Sami Zayn's feeling bold enough to say that she says something. I'm not sure what it says, but it says something. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, I, I don't know if they plan that. Uh, I don't know if he's getting, catching any repercussions because of that. Um, I would, I would imagine, I would imagine they planned it because they are so such big sticklers about what's said um, on their programming. Like I, to me, that's gotta be, or just even if it's Vince dipping his toe in the water just to see how hot the competition's water is, just to see, you know, what type of reaction is going to be gotten by just the mention of those three letters. Um, biggest reaction of the entire show. Uh, and that with two decent matches. In, right. And Rollins against Sami Zayn and then Cesaro and against Cesaro Ricochet. Ricochet. A really good match, I thought. Yes. So, um, yeah, I mean that that was the only, those were the only highlights high parts of the show. Um and that was I was like, wow, I they they really they really did that. They really said that. Um it, it just it leaves to me just to, to wonder how how their approach is gonna be towards you know the new competition. Um and also the fact that their their workforce now has some place to go again because right. for for 18 years it was you you had no no other place to go stateside a lot of these guys in gals all these wrestlers a lot of them know that they wouldn't have success in japan a lot of them know they if they went over to japan they wouldn't be able to get over um a lot of them aren't trying to work against strong style wrestlers they're not trying to get the crap kicked out of them um that's not for everybody um 
and they've talked to friends of theirs who've gone there. They've probably talked to guys like Shelton and talked to, you know, Cody and you know other guys they've kept in touch with that have gone over there, talked to AJ, um, talked with Nakamura about what it's like there, and it's not for everybody. So it's either work for Vince and get paid the best you're going to get paid or see if you can make it between Ring of Honor and independent shoots, you know, around the country. Oh, you know, it's like, you know, there's no place else to go, but now you have a legitimate place to go. Maria uh, Canellis tweeted out her and her hubby's got three weeks left on their contracts. Oh, look at that. You know, there, there could be a massive talent shift out of WWE, which I think honestly would be good for both companies. Giving fresh faces a time to shine, giving older faces a, t- a chance to reinvent themselves. Hopefully, not being eliminated eliminated by legless people. But you know, right. if, if AEW can give these guys shots, give them a legitimate shot to reinvent themselves and use their their star power. Um, but I think that would be that's just good for wrestling. And as AD, AD if people get more familiar, and I wasn't thoroughly impressed with with a lot of the people I had never heard of on the AEW show, to be honest with you. But as they develop and we begin to see people on their program and they begin to make stars, what it's going to do is it's going to hopefully prove that you don't have to go through the WWE system to become a known commodity. Right. And uh, even as people glow about NXT, there are more failures on the main roster from NXT than there are hits at this point and hopefully it will show that the WWE way of training you to be a star is not the only way and perhaps not even the best way. And it'll just open the door for more competition, uh, more variety in the, the types of, of wrestlers we see and everybody will be better for it. Well, I, I agree. I actually, I think it's already been proved that the NXT way is not the way. Um, because, I mean, think of the stars from NXT that, that that have gotten over people really like, you know, or at least were over. Finn Balor, Nakamura, Samoa Joe. And what did they all have in common? Ricochet now. Um, even, even the guys still next to you, like Cole, Fish, Roddy um, and uh, O'Reilly, they're all they're they're all Ring of Honor, yeah, stars. They're all Japan guys. Sammy Zayn, Sammy Zayn, Jericho, Kevin, Kevin Steen. Steen. These guys all had names before they Brian got there. Brian Danielson, yes, Brian Danielson, even Tyler uh, Black, yeah, who's their, their current champ? AJ Styles. Oh, AJ didn't go through NXT, but. The rest of them all went to NXT and Moxley. Yeah. And and, I mean, I guess the only, uh, you know, I may be missing the, the, the the one that jumps out is, is a pure NXT product would probably be Charlotte Flair. Yeah. I was like Charlotte and and the women are the only ones that are really homegrown. And she comes back pretty naturally to begin with. Yeah. uh, Can you name a male star that they, they organically produce. That's an actual star. Um, yeah. 
Not off the top of my head. Oh, the only one they have, and that's because we keep pushing him and pushing him, is Roman Reigns. Was uh, was Big E something before he was? Okay, Big E. But see, he's about a top guy. But yeah, Big E. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I I'll give that to Big E because he was an NXT product, NXT that's, champion. And, yeah, NXT um, champion. That's two. Yeah, but yeah, the the point I think the point I think is made. Yeah, most of your main event guys over the past five years did not originate from NXT. They may have gone through the NXT system because they want to teach WWE style. They want to teach play into the hard camera and things like that, which is fine, but they learned and perfected their craft in high school gyms and bingo halls Mm -hmm. and uh, national guard armories and, and the like. And, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. And, and the, the humility much, of that. Yeah. And, and, and so we can praise the, 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 they always produce the takeover specials always produce. Oh yeah. But as far as developing talent for the main roster, which is supposedly NXT's first purpose, they still got a long way to go. I agree. And they're, and the, org, they're, they're not doing it organically as, you know they they would have hoped right. because you know all, all the all the big names except for those two we mentioned I can't think of any other all solidified an identity pre NXT right so on that note we thank you all for joining us on this latest episode of Breaking We Rest we trust you enjoyed our review of Double or Nothing let us know what you thought of AEW's inaugural pay per view. Oh, we definitely, we definitely enjoyed it. What, give give it a give it a quick uh, letter grade, Matt. Um, I would give it a you know, I, I reserve A's for the upper echelon. I would give it a right on the edge of A minus B plus. Okay, I was gonna I was gonna give it a solid B, but we're we're we're, we're close on that. So, the Jig Nation equivalent right now, we're looking at a B. B plus grade for double or nothing. We want to know what you think of the show. Uh, you know, let us know in the comments. And as always, listen to us on your favorite podcast networks: iTunes, Castbox, Spotify. And if we're not on your favorite network, let us know, and we'll make sure that we endeavor to get on there. Again, I am your host, Rocky Mister Magic. He is the franchise Matt Privet. Yes, I am. And we thank you for listening to Breaking Ring Rust. And as always, remember, get yourself over, Marks. It's a good thing this isn't video because I've had a fly buzzing around my head all night long. I might have to mute the the uh microphone so i can <laughs> i've got it here i just oh now that tells me we we really need a patreon because that's that's comedy to pay for <laughs> <laughs> yeah now we do video i gotta actually dress for this thing i i do these things in pjs man <laughs>